Hello, this is Donna Reesh, and I would like to welcome you to another episode of Wondering Wednesday, a podcast in which we at Character Inc. and Raising Kids with Character answer your parenting questions, homeschooling questions, teaching questions, and more. Today, I would like to follow up to the last few episodes of Wondering Wednesday, the ones in which I discussed the four D's of behavior and how to tell <clears throat> and how to tell whether your uh, child's behavior is something from the heart that is something foolish, that is something that you should be concerned about, such as one of the four D's: um, disobedience, disrespect, deceit, and destruction. Then the next week, I talked about handling behaviors, 4D behaviors. It's called handling heart behaviors of tweens. It also applies, of course, to those before tweens as well as teens. And then uh, last episode, I talked about um, character training in tweens and teens. And specifically with that, I was showing the differences between the 4D behaviors and character or routine behaviors, such as not following up on things, not doing chores, not doing schoolwork, and so on and so forth, and how to handle those. And so because it has felt kind of heavy for the last uh, three or four weeks, uh, with a lot about discipline, punishment, training, consequences, and so on, I wanted to be sure to follow that up with this episode, 10 Tips for Staying Close During Intense Training Times with Tweens and Teens. So, without further ado, I'm going to begin with the first tip, and I want you to keep in mind that uh, while we have a lot at our blog about heart affecting, about reaching the heart of your tween and teens, and we have complete workshops about those subjects, I want to focus right now on staying close, reaching their heart, um, doing heart affecting things uh, that cause a closeness in your relationship with your tween and or teen, and really any age child as far as uh, many of these are concerned, but how to stay close during intense training times. In other words, you are really working on some situations with deceit, or you're really working on curbing the disrespect, or you are really following up with the consequence pie uh, about um, routine behaviors. And so uh, during those times, it can often feel like... um, you're doing nothing but training, and it can become negative. And so I want to focus on these things. There are two, th- three things, actually, that I want you to consider about our relationships during these intense training times. The first one is that to your child, it can feel like he is being ganged up on or that he is not as loved because there's so much negative in the form of this training, punishment, consequences, and so forth. You want to be sure that you are combating this with attention, affirmation, encouragement, heart engagement, and many positives. Um, While you know that you're not trying to gang up on your child, that you're not trying to um, do nothing but discipline or punish or give consequences, to your child, when this is going on, this intense training, it can really feel like he's being ganged up on. Uh, Secondly, keep these 10 tips close by to be sure that you are staying close and connected to your child when he feels less than positive about the changes and expectations. Add to this list. Uh, Maybe make some action steps at the end. Uh, These are the four specific things I'm going to look for or try to do, that type of thing. Um, Don't just assume that you're going to just all out of the blue 
you know, in the middle of a lot of negativity, think, oh, wow, um, I think I will, you know, try to affect his heart now. I think I'll try to get close with him. Um, because when you're in the thick of the training and so forth, it can become very um, overwhelming and you can actually not be able to think clearly as far as coming up with some of these ideas at that moment. And um, kind of in the same line, while it's not possible uh, or might not be possible during these intense times to follow a certain protocol, uh, we often try to uh, do the uh, three positives for every one negative or ten affirmations for every negative. You know, there are different protocols out there in parenting, in the parenting world, so to speak, um, that, uh, you know, we try to follow as far as not having just all negative input. Uh, while that might not be possible during these intense training times, it's still important to not have a negative environment in which everything is about the training, the changes, and the expectations. So hopefully some of these tips will help you avoid some of those things and stay connected with your child during these times. The first thing is really, really important and it's more just a um, thought pattern than it is an action, and that is to remember that to your child, perception is reality. We taught our children this. Um, my husband brought it home from the business world, uh, you know, in dealing with customers, in um, you know, dealing with suppliers and so forth, that uh, perception is reality, meaning that however it is perceived or appearance is reality is <clears throat> another way to put it. However it appears or however it is perceived is that person's reality. You know, so we can say things like that's just not how it is or that's not true or you're not seeing it clearly or any number of things that we can say in response to a child saying it feels like you're ganging up on me. You always say bad things about me. You never say anything good or whatever. And, you know, I talked about that in some of the earliest, earlier podcast episodes uh, of this vein, not to um, use the words always and never, but your child will. Your child will use the words always and never because to him it feels like it is always or it is never. And so with our kids, we use this this thinking, and this is just actually for siblings getting along and stuff, not really uh, specifically for this, but um, we use this to try to teach them how other people feel and how other people are thinking, especially in our home. Siblings with seven children, two parents, very small home. So many things happen that you know feelings are heard and and you know um, uh, offenses are brought forth, and so um, we try to help our children to understand that to somebody else that is real. Perception is their reality. And, you know, we even told them that, uh, you know, we feel like that is kind of why Jesus said in the Bible, in, uh, that in the Beatitudes, actually, that if somebody has odd against you, go to them. That, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really say if you did something to somebody. It doesn't really say if you um, caused this to happen. It says if somebody has a disagreement with you, or if somebody has something against you, go to that person and make it right. In other words, understand where that person is coming from. And that is what this perception is reality in reality is reality is all about. Um, if he feels ganged up on, to him, he really is ganged up on. If he feels that you do not like him, to him, you really don't like him. 
If he feels like you're only focusing on the negatives right now, to him, you are only focusing on the negatives. So remember during this time, and, and actually in all of parenting, and in all relationships, that to somebody else, that is their reality. Perception is reality. Whatever they perceive is what is real to them. Next, don't overfocus on correction. Now, I know this you know, sounds really funny coming off the heels of three episodes about discipline, punishment, consequences, uh, and so the four Ds and so on. Um, but what I mean by this is you are going to be heavily focusing on whatever you're trying to turn around. But you can actually focus on too many areas of correction at the same time. Once you're on a roll, you know, about one thing, next thing you know, oh, and by the way, you also do this. Oh, and I've noticed too that you do this. And the next thing you know, um, you are over-focusing on correction. So as I said in the earlier episodes, choose the biggest things first and see our 40s of behavior and handling heart behaviors and tweens, but choose the biggest thing or things first and tackle that as opposed to bringing up every little thing. Now, in character training, if you're talking about responsibility, you might have a number of, of um, examples for this. You know, if you're trying to say, you know, to a teen, especially an older child, where you might more lump them together and have just responsibility, you know, but you Still, you have to make it so black and white, as I talked about earlier. But, um, you know, you might say, you know, you're not responsible with taking down the trash. You're not responsible with being sure the dishwasher is unloaded every morning. You're not responsible with cleaning your bedroom and making your bed before we start school, whatever those things are. And those are all legitimate, irresponsible actions if those are the things that you're working on. But at the same time, you, you, know, you don't want to say, well, not only are you disrespectful, but you're also disobedient. Not disobedient. Not only are you disobedient, but you know, you're deceitful and you're hiding things and, and so forth. So just don't overcorrect and don't focus on too many things at one time. Next, have more than normal amounts of one-on-one time with your child. You know, I hear a lot, you know, about how, um, you know, with several children, that just isn't possible to have one-on-one time, or, you know, it just feels like people are overemphasizing this whole idea of one-on-one time, um, and actually, if I had anything, you know, to say about, uh, you know, just having many, many, many children, uh, and uh, it would be that... Th- a, can you afford them? But B, also, can you really give them the one-on-one time that is needed, the individual attention that that is needed? So granted, if you have a very large family, you have to get extremely creative. And technically, you know, raising children, if you have, I mean, we had seven children, and raising children was like our occupation. I mean, you know, every day, you know, Ray came home from work, and, and that's what we did was raise children. And that's what we focused on the even, in the evenings. Um, after I had focused on it all day. So um, the the one-on-one time is important, and um, I know how hard it can be. I know how hard it was with 7, much less with 10, with 12, with 14. I know even now, as adults of grown children, um, 7 of them, 17 to almost 33, and with 4 in-laws, two daughters-in-law and two sons-in-law, how difficult that can be. You know, we're constantly back and forth. Well, have you talked to this child this week? Um, what about the this, this son-in-law? You know, he was struggling with this. Did you call him? Or, you know, I talked to our daughter about this, and this is what she said. And, and um, you know, or, you know, we haven't had a meal with just, you know, Joshua and Lisa for a long time. We need to set aside some time this weekend. 
um, you know, whatever it is. And, and that's with seven and four in-laws. So I know how challenging that can be. Um, but it's just really, really important because they're not masses. You know, there are individual people who need our attention. Um, but during this time, <laughs> unfortunately, not only are you handling all of these discipline issues and all of these things that you're trying to solve, but also you really do need more than normal amounts of one-on-one time with your child. He needs to feel that you are not only taking the time to discipline and punish and, and give consequences and train, but you are also taking the time to know what's in his heart, that you are taking the time to build a relationship with him even during difficult at times. And um, so anyway, I have a note here in the handout, uh, and I hope you're using the handout. I should have mentioned that at the beginning, that there is a handout available um, there right with the recording. Uh, But because of that, uh, we have coupons for you uh, to use, if you'd like, called Keep Close Coupons. Now, these are a little bit different than our affirmation cards that I'm going to talk about in just a little bit and that we used with our kids a lot. But these are um, more like, let's set a date, let's set a time. Uh, We call it keep close coupons because that's the purpose of them. The purpose is to stay close to our children. And it is a lot like um, any other thing that you either write down or that you schedule into your schedule. Once you've given a keep close coupon, you are more likely to keep that date uh, to keep close. So um, we recommend that if you're having trouble, you know, really getting that one-on-one time in, or even if you just want to make it a priority, and even if you want to do it with younger children, that you use these coupons to, you know, pass out on, you know, to your child, give one to your child on Monday, put it in his lunchbox if he goes to work or if he goes to school or, um, you know, put it on his pillow or put it under his pillow, whatever, um, and that it has a date and time on it. Uh, there is a lot of explanation in the cup- in the coupons about how to use them um, and how to how to do it, especially with teens, which can be really tricky because you don't want to feel like you're the you don't want them to feel like you're monopolizing them t- their time or that you're trying to um, tell them where they're going to be when, especially if you're trying to give them more independence. Um, but use these cards to have those um, one-on-one times. Next, affirm your child's good behavior and character during this time. As I said, you might not be able to do your regular protocol of, you know, three affirmations for every negative or ten even for every negative or nine for every negative. There are different protocols out there um, that are followed. Um, You might not be able to do all of that, but you still want to be sure that you are affirming his good behavior, that you do find out the things that he does well. Um, And every child does things well, you know, whether it is smiling, smiling, you know, playing a sport, playing an instrument, whether it is um, good penmanship, uh, which is a little bit, <clears throat> it's a little bit hard with affirmations, and I'll just throw this out there since we're on this. It is a little bit hard with affirmations to be sure that you're not focusing on uh, something, that you're not over-focusing on, you know, God-given talents. Um, because that can really make the child who doesn't feel like he has a lot of God-given talents uh, as far as natural abilities feel, um, feel bad. You know, if you're constantly talking about how smart this one is or how beautiful this one is or how good at dance or piano or volleyball or, you know, basketball, whatever it might be, um, 
that you focus on the process, the character training that it takes to achieve that. You know, so if you won a game, you know, yes, that was awesome. You played so great, but really focus on, you know, the practice that that led up to that point, the uh, diligence in, you know, running or training every day, whatever it might be. And so we also have affirmation cards. Um, uh, I believe there are 52 cards in uh, one deck of them, and um, they just affirm in various ways. Some of them just say something simple like triff or wowsy wow wow or awesome job, and others are more, you know, pointed as far as, um, I appreciate your kindness to the elderly or whatever. And um, so use these to affirm your children's behavior. Uh, we used to keep these, not the ones that we have at our store now, but the ones that, but ones we used to buy. We used to keep these in the bathroom and um, with a pen. And we tried to, in, the, in our like reading basket, so to speak, try to just get, get it out and write one every once in a while. Put the child's name, maybe put a little note kisses and hugs, love mom or whatever, um, proud of you, dad, whatever it might be. But um, use these during this time especially. Um, next, uh, um, see, give little gifts and plan surprises. Um, this is uh, important all the time because we want our children to think that we're cool parents, right? Um, so... In that regard, we always want to give little gifts and plan little surprises, <clears throat> but um, especially during this time, we want it to get to be upbeat. We want it to be a time where we're not always focusing on the negative. And so uh, because of that, plan these little surprises and little gifts. We have a, uh, a printable called Kids Fave List, uh, Kids Faves, and um on that, I used to, I didn't use this specific list, but I used to have a sheet in my planner where I wrote things down. Um, I could never remember, for example, if I wanted to buy, and this is not something I buy all the time, not something I recommend, but if I wanted on an ongoing basis, but if I wanted to buy one child a box of cereal because we always had, you know, granola and oatmeal and <clears throat> maybe cornflakes or Cheerios or something. But if I wanted to buy one child a box of junky cereal, I could never remember, you know, is, is hers that one with the marshmallows or is it the one with the loops, the fruity loops, you know? <clears throat> and so I kept a list in my planner and I do this at Christmas time, even now with adults, I'll have the kids, I'll send the kids a template. We call it our Christmas template. I will send them a template via email and they have to have it back to me by a certain date and I asked them to list, you know, what do you want on our Christmas Eve appetizer night? What are your favorite appetizers? What cookies do you want on the cookie tray this year? What are your favorite cookies? Um, you know, what uh, small things. Uh, we do different Christmas activities. And I hope you'll check back in December um, because I'm going to be vlogging about some of those. And I haven't vlogged about some of those before. Some of the things that we do with adult kids specifically. When you're no longer doing necessarily, maybe you might do the jammies on New Christmas Eve. Maybe you you know, might do, um, that type of thing. But when you're not always doing those kind of things, uh, some other things that we do with adults that are just super, super fun. So check back for Christmas ideas. But, um, I have, I always kept that in my planner. Uh, so I made up a template for you, kids faves, and you can just have your child's favorites listed on there and, uh, go through it. And there's a, a how to, 
um, sheet in the front telling you how to use it, how to use it for a family night, as well as how to use it just to one-on-one with your child and how to plan little surprises, pick up his favorite gum, whatever it might be. But these little fun things really add a lot to this intense training time. Okay, number six is have a lot of family time stressing family unity and love among family members. There are number of things that happen in the family dynamics during intense training times. For one thing, um, the old adage, the squeakiest wheel gets the grease, becomes a very predominant theme in a family. Your other children may not say that, but that is exactly what they are feeling. And um, first of all, there's a neglect that takes place. And, um, you know, it's not, not long-term perhaps, um, and hopefully, and it's not purposeful, but it is happening to where the other children are feeling like, oh man, it's Johnny again, you know, and um, so that is, is an issue in itself, but then also the animosity that the other children can feel towards the one who constantly gets the grease. Uh, whether it's good grease or bad grease, um, just, uh, you know, we can't do this because of Johnny again, or, you know, mom's tied up, you know, back talking to Johnny again, and so on. Um, we had a really cute episode of this that I like to tell. It wasn't in a, in a training time, but it was in an intense time nonetheless. And these, actually, these tips do not just apply to training times. They apply to any intense times in your life. Um, in our case, we uh, were walking our, our daughter, our um, third child, our second daughter, through uh, a relationship uh, that was leading to engagement, and then they got married. And um, so during that time, it was intense, and it has been intense every time one of our four married children so far has gotten into a relationship and then um, eventually gotten engaged or gotten into a relationship, and then maybe that didn't work out and it ended, but still it was intense during that time in order to... um, to be there for the couple, to help guide them in their relationship, to be their advisors, to be their mentors, to um, you know help them see where this relationship was heading and uh, if it was right, you know. Um, and we wanted to be a part of their relationship. And so, you know, as soon as a, a, the relationship, I'll just use that my daughter as an example, but it really happened in all the cases. As soon as a relationship you know, was started and we saw where, you know, we saw that there was this interest and, you know, so on. We were right there. We were, you know, immediately took the couple out, talked them through, asked them what their goals were, asked them what their parameters were, um, physically and, um, you know, what their accountability was going to be and how, you know, frequently they thought they should be together, how frequently they should talk on the phone, uh, kind of help direct them into some topics that they would want to talk about. Just really uh, trying to be there for them. To come to think of it, I should do a couple podcast episodes about that. But um, anyway, maybe later. So, uh, and during any intense time. So, but at this time, our um, next to the youngest child was 12. And um, he was uh, just, he was the one that was always voicing how, you know, mom's tied up with Cammie and Joseph, dad's out with Joseph, mom's in with Cammie, you know, mom and dad aren't going to be home tonight, they're going to be with Cammie and Joseph, and and so forth. And um, so, you know, we tried to do a number of these things, we always did during intense times, Um, but he 
told his brothers, I finally figured out a way to get mom and dad's attention more. And they were like, what, what? And he said, I'm going to get a griller friend. So anyway, it was so cute. A, because our kids didn't have griller and boiler friends, as they called them. Um, when the boys were little, the little boys were little, they always called the girls the grillers. They couldn't, I guess they just doubled their blend, their um, ER combination, vowel combination there. But they always called them the grillers. And so it was always like, the grillers won't let me do this. The grillers won't let me do that. The grillers made me, you know, sit at the table and, and do my penmanship instead of on the floor or whatever. And uh, so he called, they always called them grillers. So he was going to get a griller friend. And um, that was so incredibly cute, but it was just a representative of kind of what's happening here. He was, you know, going to actually find a way so that he would get our attention. And so this happens with siblings in these situations. And so there are a number of things to do and they're more doing. Um, guys, this, this parenting thing is intense. This parenting thing takes time. It takes a large amount of time. And if you are constantly running around, not having so many time evenings at home a week with your children and your family, not cutting back activities so that you can train, teach, build up, disciple, mentor, then you are really missing the boat because those are opportunities that you'll never get back again. And, you know, activities are out there all the time. Those activities are always going to be there. And um, just as an aside here, when we're talking about a lot of family time, uh, we always um, made sure that we had three or four evenings a week at home as a family with the 16-year-olds and down. Usually by the time our kids were 17 and 18, they were doing early entry college, they were doing ministries, um, and they were gone more. And, uh, you know, as they got the uh, their res- responsibility level up, right, uh, I have a a post link at the bottom of this about responsibility and privilege. It's called um, the one parenting practice that changes everything. So I would recommend that you go read that. But um, but from 16 and on down, that was our family protocol. That was our plan. Three or four evenings a week, we would be together as a family. Now that just you can't just declare that next week. You can't just say next week we're going to have three or four evenings a week as a family. So it is it is what that actually begins with what you commit to early on. So we had a family of seven children, so we only let the children each do one thing each semester um, outside of like maybe a piano lesson or something like that during the daytime. But in the evenings, they, you know, as far as other activities, they could only do one thing per semester. So they could do a, a ministry, they could do youth group, they could do a sporting event, you know, whatever it was. But you know, I know that not every family needs to limit it to one because if you don't have seven children, you know, it might not be that necessary. But this whole evenings together as a family begins back when you make the commitment to how many activities your kids are going to be in. So that was just a little free advice for you there. Um, because all of these things that I describe in the podcast episodes and the things that I describe in the blog post, these things happen as a result of a very intentive you know, on purpose action of creating family times. And 
you, when you create family times, you're saying yes to family and no to other things. And if you say yes to everything else out there, then you have to say no to family. And so back to this having lots of family time. You need a lot of time with those kids too, which is a problem because you're doing all this intensive training and then you're trying to spend one-on-one time with the child who's in the intensive training. And then you also need to spend time with the other kids because they need attention because you're always with the intensive training one. And um, so you do need to take that time, but also family times because you want to have happy, carefree, enjoyable family times during this time. You want to go to the dollar theater. You want to show a movie on the side of the house in the summer with uh, hot, with a bonfire, grilling hot dogs and marshmallows. You want to have table games. You want to go play laser tag. You want to do these fun family activities, stressing family unity and love among your family members so that it's not just all a drag because of the child who needs so much attention. And also so that he is part of the fun. And so that the kids don't, the rest of the kids don't see it, him as just taking, dragging the family down. You know, so these need to, you know, make them non-training times. You know what, tonight we are just having a bonfire and, you know, sing along around the bonfire. Maybe have another family over. And we are not focusing on this training tonight. You know, we're not, we're, we're going to take some time off from that. We're just going to have fun tonight. So um, do that for your other children as well. Number seven, say yes when you can. Um, I, I talked about how you don't want to overfocus on correction. But when you're in a negative mode of intense training, it's real easy to just say no all the time. You know, no, you, do, you haven't earned that. No, you don't deserve that. No, you always do this or whatever. There's a lot of time. This is a time of a lot of no's already. If he's being punished or having lots of consequences, it will feel like you are nothing but no, like you're back to the 18 to 24, you know, 30 month period of time with your kids where no, 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 don't touch that and so forth. And so because of that, you don't want to pile on, pile on unnecessary no's. So when you're already, you know, saying no all the time, say yes when you can. You know, say, you know, yes, you know, if, if schoolwork isn't a problem, you know, then say, yes, you can um, skip your math drill today and, um, you know, go get on the internet for half an hour or whatever. Say yes to anything that you can say yes to so that you're not a complete, so it's not a complete bombardment of no's. All right, number eight uh, is related to the article I just mentioned, the one parenting practice that changes everything. You want your child during uh, these training periods, especially during consequences for character or routine behaviors, you want him to see that you link responsibility with privilege. So this is true in the negative sense in that uh, when he has negative behavior, he loses privileges. But it should also be true in the positive sense. That is, it should also be true that when he does make improvements in character, when he does make improvements in the areas that you're asking him, him to improve in, that you immediately link a privilege with that. If you're going to link a, a lack of privilege with a negative behavior, you want to be sure that you are linking um, 
increasing privileges with positive behaviors or positive responsibilities. So, you know, say it verbally, verbalize it, say, you know, um, you know, you've been doing such a great job, uh, you know, cleaning the table off in the evenings, you know, find anything, you know, maybe that's not maybe something you're working on, but maybe you just want to point it out. You've been doing such a good job, uh, being diligent and cleaning the kitchen, uh, during family cleanup that, um, I want you to be able to stay up a half an hour later tonight or whatever it might be so that he can see, wow, you know, not only does this work in the negative, but it also works in the positive. And then in the areas that you are in the thrust of training, you know, be sure that whenever something is accomplished, that there is a, a privilege linked to that, that there is a definite reward for increasing the, uh, decreasing the negative behavior and increasing the, the positives that you wanted him to have. All right. Number nine is about using key times wisely. This is more about one-on-one time. Um, but I just want to point out to you that there are a number of key times that you can have one-on-one time with your child. And you might look around and not really think you have that much, uh, you know, discretionary time to just add in one-on-one time or whatever. And by bringing this to your attention, you might just be sitting there someday, you know, working on the computer or, you know, um, cleaning or something and look around and realize it's just you and that child at home. And so stop working on the computer and stop cleaning and use that key time wisely. So even if you're just, you know, aware of these key times, maybe you can make a little sticky note and write these on it, put it on your mirror in the morning, uh, that, you know, these are key times that I could be zoning in on that child's heart, that I could be zoning in on relationship building instead of whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, Drive time. I know for me personally, drive time is my phone time. In Indiana, you're allowed to do that. And so we have to be really careful that, you know, we've got, if we've got one child in the seat beside us and we're driving down the road, we have a captive audience, not for lecturing, not necessarily for training time, but for just talking, for just being with him, for just, you know, letting him run into, uh, the gas station and pick up his favorite candy bar and just talking um, or whatever it is that you want to do to reward your child. If you don't have sugar, you know, something else, a bag of chips or or whatever, Um, that you are using the key times wisely. Drive time is a really, really big one. Uh, Drive time has become such a big one in our family that we actually, it actually originated, um, oh, 25, 27, 28 years ago with uh, whichever child has his or her shoes on gets to go with dad and or mom. And so we made it a point early on when our oldest was three or four years old that we would never drive anywhere by ourselves if it was possible to take a child with us. And, um, so it was, it was always who has your shoes on and, and, you know, they didn't care if they wore mismatched shoes, they had two shoes on. They were the first one with two shoes on. They got to go. And when we didn't always do that, sometimes we just said, you know, you know, Kato, go get your shoes on. You're coming with mom or whatever. This is good for the child who, um, 
is in intense training, but it's also good for the children who are being left out too. And uh, so drive time has just become a time when they know. And, and you know what? The thing about it is our kids have picked up that, you know, this could be a selfish time. This could be a time that we go someplace all by ourselves, that we go through Starbucks and get our mocha or whatever. I don't go to Starbucks, but whatever that is, or go through and get our Diet Coke. Um, and we turn the radio up. And we just completely veg and we don't have to worry about anything or think about anybody. In my case, I like to do audio talking books and podcast episodes a lot when I'm driving. And um, our kids have picked up that we use that for them, that we uh, have one-on-one time. And so much so that when we would drive two vehicles someplace, we would always say, "My Ray and I would talk ahead of time, you know, Cammie really needs some time with you, or Joshua really needs time with you, or Kayla really needs time with me. And so what we, we would decide ahead of time, the one child is going to go in the one vehicle with whichever parent you know, that child needed at the time, and everybody else was going in the other. And this was actually like a planned thing. They knew that when we drove two vehicles someplace and met up with Dad, one of them would get a parent. And um, to the point where they would say, now on the way home, can I ride with dad? I need to talk to him about this. Or on the way home, can everybody else ride with dad and and you and I just talk about something? And it became, you know, a a time that they knew that they had. Uh, We did the same thing with bedtimes when our kids were little. They, we call it their Malachi time, turning the hearts of the children to the father and the fathers to the children. It's actually the other way around. You turn the fathers first, turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. But when our kids were very little, they had their Malachi time and they knew that they were going to have dad all to themselves in their room that night uh, when he put them in bed. And um, the thing about this is that they save the things that they need us for, for these times, because they know they're going to get us. So once you start being this kind of parent, the kind of parent who is there for your kids, who always talks with your kids, they start to realize, you know, this is for me. He's doing this for me. And, um, you know, they, the, the, the way kids feel when their parents do these type of things, the way kids feel when their parents are there for them, is an unbelievably comforting, confidence-building, secure feeling. And so, anyway, I could just talk about that forever, but when just the two of you are at home, during mornings maybe, if one child gets up earlier than everybody else, uh, dinner preparation time, uh, we would have an assistant chef, what we called our assistant chef, who would help me with the meals in the evenings. And it was just a wonderful time for the two of us just to talk and spend time together. Bedtime's porch time. We had our tech-free zone time. Um, We used to have a television on a cart for many, many, many years in a closet, and it had a DVD player and a V8. Actually, it had a video player, if I told you the truth. Then then it had a DVD player eventually. Um, But that cart was in a closet, and we pulled it out whenever we watched a movie as a family, and we had we had a, we had all kinds of different benchmarks that we made throughout the years for technology, which is so hard now. Um, but at the time, it wasn't because we only had that. And um, 
we were pretty late getting all the other technology. I to this day we don't have like iPads or tablets or I don't even know what you call those things where the thing hooks onto the anyway. Uh, we don't have that kind of stuff, but um uh we were able to control technology very easily. We had this in the closet and so we would always have our time in our living room at night before the kids went to bed. And they always, this was when they were older, when, when we didn't tuck them in anymore, when they were teenagers. And everybody knew that we were going to be meeting up in the living room that night and that there would be nothing distracting mom and dad. And we would just be talking. And, you know, even when our kids are away, so many times in the last several years, I've taken pictures of everybody sitting in the living room and, and said, we miss you so much tonight in our living room time, you know, wish you were in the living room. Um, that's another matter, writing to them and making them feel like they are so important because they are so important, right? Um, but tech-free zone, they knew that we would be tech-free. They knew that we would be together. And if it doesn't happen in the house, then find another place, whether it's the vehicle, whether it's, you know, we're going to take a McDonald's run, you know, and they, they would know that at McDonald's, we're not going to get out iPhones or anything like that. Whatever it, it works for you, I'm just giving some suggestions that might work. But it has to be where everybody is tech-free in order to really spend that time together. Porch time might be a good time for that. Fire time around a fire because, um, you know, if you don't allow any technology for 30 minutes, whatever it might be. Anyway, use key times wisely. And lastly, ask good questions. Um, you really want to know what is going on in the heart of the trainee <laughs> during these intense times. And if you've done all of these things to build relationships, it's easy to get there. It's easy to find out what's going on um, in their hearts. If you do not usually use key times wisely, you do not usually have one-on-one -on -one times, you do not usually do, you know, keep close cards or affirmation cards or kids' faves list or those type of things, then trying to pull the child into a lot of time with you will seem artificial and might seem um, manipulative, you know, to the child. But if you have all this in place ahead of time, so if you're not dealing with any real behavior issues right now, just put these things in place in general so that you have these ongoing abiding relationships with your kids. Um, but... Uh, if you already have those things, then when you ask good questions, it's not, hmm, why are you asking me all this? You know, it's not like that. It's, you know what, mom and dad care about me. They're doing the question thing again, you know? And so do all these things outside of conflict during, you know, what my husband likes to say, you know, during non-conflict times, do these things, do all of these things and anything else you can think of. I would love for you to message me or email me, Facebook me, um, put a note on the, at the end of the, if you're at the blog and you see this podcast episode with some ideas that you guys have had for building these relationships. But if you already have these relationships built, then asking good questions uh, won't be hard. But when you ask good questions, you know, you can start out with literal. It's just like, it's the really funny thing about using questions to build relationships is it is exactly like using questions to build comprehension in school. So it actually carries over. So you'll be a better teacher too, if you do this, right? Um, 
because you have, of course, if you've done any reading programs with your children, you know, the literal level where they just tell you, you know, who is Mr. Smee in the, in the book, Peter Pan or whatever. Um, and then the, you have the, um, inferential where they infer things. Why do you think he acted this way and that type of thing? And then you have the application, of course, you know, how could you apply this to you? Um, or, you know, how did, how was this applied in the book in the case of questioning, um, for, um, comprehension, reading comprehension or audio comprehension or any, any kind of comprehension. Um, but it's the same thing with this. You might start out with literal questioning, you know, where did you go? What did you do? You know, that type of thing. Then inferential. Well, why did you have fun? What made it enjoyable? What made you unhappy there? Why did you not like it? Those type of things. And then on to applications. But um, ask questions. Ask good questions. Don't just ask literal questions. One of the things that we always ask our kids is, why do you think that? Why do you think that? It is such a good question because they have to give you their reasoning behind it. You have to be very careful that you don't shoot down their reasoning all the time, but it is just outstanding, an outstanding opportunity for them to be able to say, here's why, you know, and, um, with that, we also used, uh, the, the questions that I talked about at the beginning, you know, that perception is reality. How do you think that makes that person feel, you know, or how does that make you feel even in the case of trying to get into his heart and see what's going on with him? But we used, how do you think that makes that person feel? Or why do you think that person did that or said that? We use that to help them understand relationships with each other. Now, I was supposed to keep this at 30 to 35 minutes because I've been told that people aren't staying on the whole 45 minutes, and I understand that. I, I know that it's a lot of material to cover, and I probably should break these down a little bit more, and I'm going to work on that um, uh, because I know I, I threw a lot at you, a lot about heart focusing, not just during intense times, but any time, not just with tweens and teens, but even with small children. I'll just tell you, if you start these things out with a three-year-old and a four-year-old and a five-year-old, you are not going to believe the relationship that you can have with your teens and your young adults. I am blown away by the fact that in one month, all seven of my grown kids will live within half an hour of us. And we are unified as a family and we have times together as a family and they call us and they want our advice and we give them advice where they're mentors, where they're disciplers. We are a huge part of their lives still helping them be the adults that they want to be. And I just can't tell you how amazing that is and how wonderful it is because our whole goal in parenting seminars and homeschool training in, in our own family is generational evangelism. And you have a captive audience to do this to in your home. You have a captive audience in which you can evangelize, disciple all the time. And if we do it right, we can continue to be that influence in their adult years as well, in their teen years, their college years, and then in their adult years. And no other discipling relationship that you can go out and get. And I know there are a lot of people who have accountability partners and things like that, and those are great. But no other discipling situation that you can put yourself in will ever have the potential to yield the fruit that you have in your home 
It is phenomenal. It is phenomenal because it is not just once a week meeting. It's not something that, you know, ebbs and flows. It's not something that comes and goes. It's not something that you now it's this person, then later it's this person. And those are all great. And we, God brings people into our lives for times that we can do that too. But we have the opportunity like none other with our children. And so let's, let's take it. Let's take it by the horns and let's ride it. Let's just carry it all the way through. Those are a lot of mixed metaphors. You know that? I just had a lot of mixed metaphors. Anyway, do it. Do this thing. Intense parenting. Do this discipling, mentoring, heart-affecting practices. Do these things that will have a huge impact on your family. Thank you for joining me on what was 10 tips for staying close during intense training times with tweens and teens. Also became a little bit of preschool, a little bit of reading comprehension, a little bit of uh, sibling relationships, um, and a whole lot of of other stuff. So hopefully uh, this benefited you. And if it did, uh, I just wanted to ask if you would go to um, iTunes and subscribe, um, maybe leave a, a review so that I can actually start getting in the, in the review process. People will know that we have this podcast episode on Wednesdays. Um, also, uh, subscribe to the blog. We, uh, at Character Inc. blog, we are going to start offering Friday freebies. So all of the things that we have in the podcast episodes, as far as the consequence pies, the um, even some of our products like Spelling Helps and um, our af- affirmation cards, things that we are actually selling in the store, those are going to be offered each week as a freebie to subscribers only. Um, so if you would go there to subscribe, you'll get, you can subscribe to the blog, uh, which means you'll get an email whenever we post a blog, or you can subscribe to the newsletter, which means you'll get a summary each week of the blog post. And uh, join our Facebook pages, so on and so forth. Just get connected with us so that we can help you and reach out to you in your parenting and in your homeschooling and in your language arts teaching. This has been Donna Reich from Character Inc. with another Wondering Wednesday podcast episode. Thank you for joining me.